Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. O come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's from the gradual use for the season of Lent, based on Hebrews 12.2. This Lent, as Pastor Rob so nicely laid out for us last Wednesday night, we're using the metaphor of the eyes in order to get at the soul's struggle in the lives of the various people involved with our Lord's passion account. In most cases that we looked at, uh, these individuals misunderstood just who Jesus was exactly and what he came to do. And the point of all this, of course, is that over these 40 days of Lent, we may get a glimpse of ourselves as reflected in these other passion players. How alike or unlike are we from the people who actually saw Jesus in the flesh? Most importantly, we'll see what Jesus has done to save every one of us from our collective sin that truly caused his holy, precious, and soul-cleansing blood to flow from the cross on Calvary. Last week, it was the misjudging eyes that we looked at, the eyes of the witnesses who misunderstood the anointing that an anonymous woman gave Jesus in preparation for his burial. Tonight, we examine the perspective of Judas and his infamous betrayal of our Lord. Have we done the same? And how does our Lord look upon us then? This will be the window to the soul through which we peer tonight. Judas will forever be a name associated with the betrayal, with treachery, and with handing over the innocent Jesus to sinful men who would crucify him. And though we're looking at Jesus through Judas' betraying eyes tonight, what's most important for us afterwards is that we again fix our eyes upon Jesus as seen in his finished work on our behalf. That's where we're going. Mark chapter 14 records for us, Then Judas Iscariot, was, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. Notice Mark's detail that Jesus was one of the twelve underscores the deeply personal nature of his treachery and the bitterness of his betrayal. Judas had been chosen out of countless Jewish men to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. What a special privilege, a select group who had this wonderful privilege of being in the inner circle of God's incarnate son for three years. So Judas saw firsthand the love and the mercy that Jesus so often displayed along with his powerful miracles. Judas had heard the Beatitudes again and again with their lofty morals. He had heard the parable of the rich fool and warnings about greed many times over as well. Judas had himself gone out and preached in Jesus' name. He'd even heard the warnings, warnings about those who preached in the Lord's name, 
but then are shocked on Judgment Day to find out that their abandonment of faith has landed them in hell. If you want to see Exhibit A of someone who had all the right things taught to him, but then rebelled against them, it's Judas Iscariot. Today, we would say, modern-day Judas Iscariots are raised right here in the church. Judas, on his own, had sought out the chief priests with an offer to hand over Jesus to them, says Mark. And when the chief priests heard it, they were glad and promised to give Judas money. The Jewish leaders sought an inconspicuous place to arrest Jesus, and Judas knew an ideal one, an isolated garden in the middle of the night. And as we know from the other Gospels, Judas was a greedy man, even a thief. So he saw this betrayal as an opportunity to line his own pockets. Judas' plan was in place then, but first he had to sit and wait for the Passover meal. That could not have been easy. At dinner, Jesus drops this bomb on the 12, continuing in Mark 14. As they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Mark 14, 18. There, we see the prophetic fulfillment of tonight's Psalm 41, where it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Try to picture what the 26 eyes at the table were all doing. Jesus seems to be calming, calmly looking around, knowing exactly who it is, but not giving anything away. Mark says that they began to be sorrowful and to say to Jesus one after another, Is it I, Lord? You can picture them looking around the room with suspicious, wondering, who must it be? You can imagine the tears squeezed from some of those eyes, expressing their sincere surprise and grief at what Jesus was predicting there. What do you think Judas' eyes were doing? Do you think he looked down in shame? Were his eyes nervously darting about that upper room to see if he was suspected by anybody? I bet that he put on a pretty good show, acting just as surprised, just as grief-stricken as the rest of them. And what's striking about Mark's account of this scene is that all the while, Jesus himself doesn't let on that it's Judas. Jesus doesn't betray him. We won't hear that the traitor is actually Judas until the Garden of Gethsemane. So why do you suppose this is? Why did Jesus not rat out the rat who was among them? That's a pivotal question. Perhaps Jesus wanted each of the twelve to examine himself and to see if he had it within himself to betray innocent blood, to hand over their friend and their master. Likewise, Jesus wants each of us to examine our own faithfulness to our Lord. This is an examination that we are to do regularly 
And often, in fact, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. A couple chapters later, Paul again says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? From 1 Corinthians 13, 5. The great 18th century Lutheran composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, picks up on this dramatic scene here at the Lord's Supper, at the, at the Last Supper, in his famous oratorio, the St. Matthew Passion. Now, I don't speak the original German in which Bach wrote, and which, incidentally, he borrowed from Luther's Bible. But the following translation still captures the thick tension that must have hung heavily in the air as Bach's chorus sings the parts of each of the disciples asking whether he himself is the traitor. The music builds one, Lord is it I, upon another. And then comes in the choral response in unison a confession to Jesus sung by all, it is I. It continues, it is I, I should atone. Bound hand and foot, I in hell. The scourges and the bonds and what you endured, my soul has earned. It is I. Bach gets the Judas story right, highlighting that all of us, all of us have participated in the sin of Judas at one time or another. We've all committed high treason against our Lord God. That's what sin is. Betrayal of our King of Grace. And if we were to die in our sin, it certainly would have been better for us to have never been born. That's why it's such good news when Jesus says in the upper room, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Mark 14, 21. Then in the garden, Jesus declares, that the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. You see, this is the express, foreknown purpose for which Jesus came. Jesus came to be betrayed. He came to pour out his holy, precious blood to atone for your sin, my sin, for Judas' sin, and the sin of all rebels the whole world over from the beginning of time. Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, these are deep mysteries here. Judas was morally culpable for his betrayal of Jesus, and he justly paid the price for his sin and for his impenitence, even though the scriptures foreknew and foretold that all this would happen. Yet, God did not force Judas to do anything, it was still Judas' sinful will, along with the devil's prompting that led, them, led him to this betrayal. Behind the scenes, however, behind the scenes, it was God who wanted to see this happen all along. It was the Father's will to punish His Son for our sake. 
It was the father's will to hand over his son to death. And it was the son's will to go. Jesus went willingly embracing his cross out of love for you and for me and for all sinners. Here's an interesting note. That verb that we translate as betray in this text, it can also have the simple meaning of to hand over or to deliver. The Greek word is paradidomi, para beside or next to, and didomi to give, to give over. Or as in Romans 4.25, it says to deliver up. Here's that verse. To us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So then, who here did the handing over? Judas? Yes. But above all, and according to his own prophetic word, and according to his own will, God the Father loved the world this way, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave his own dear Son, Jesus, over to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. So now, let us adjust our vision The devil was at work. Judas was at work. But unbeknownst to both of them and all the evil men who ordered Jesus crucified, God was mysteriously and graciously working out his will through their disobedience and evil in order to accomplish his own good and gracious promises. Therefore, let us look no longer at the sin and at the many sinners Let us now fix our eyes instead on the one who for you and for me became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. The good news here for all betrayers, all Judases, all of us guilty of high treason is that in baptism you have been united with the Christ you betrayed and killed. And just as that is true, you have also been raised with that same Jesus Christ in his resurrection to newness of life. You are now God's forgiven, righteous possession. That means this Lenten season, as we examine ourselves, we ought not try to hide our sins, but rather rather confess them freely. Our Heavenly Father is not at all surprised that we're sinners. In his foreknowledge and in his loving kindness that is so great toward us, he has provided a sacrifice that establishes his kingdom of grace, a veritable garden restored for us, the redeemed. So what's left now is for us to hand over this good news to still others, to generations to come, so that all may know the generosity of our God. For I delivered, handed over to you, as of first importance, what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel Paul, the apostle, delivered to the church at Corinth. In this gospel and by its power, we still stand today. And by God's grace and strength, this is the gospel we as a church hand over now to our own families, to our friends, to our neighbors, even our enemies, so that we might all fix our gaze on Jesus, the Son of God, and see him clearly for who he truly is, our only hope and salvation. In his name, amen. And now may our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in his presence when he comes again. Amen.